You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into a Thursday edition of the podcast. Hope you all are doing great out there in Cougar Nation. Plenty to get to ahead on this episode of Locked On Cougars. We look back in the 100 seasons of BYU football at 1996. Yes, the famed 14-1 season. We'll dig into that, what to take away from it. We'll also continue with our position previews looking ahead to BYU fall camp beginning next week. We talk about the interior of BYU's offensive line as well as a look at the strong safety position on defense for BYU. So plenty to talk about ahead on today's show. Today's podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at the Locked On NBA channel. Tonight is the night, folks. It's the NBA draft and the Locked On Podcast Network has you guys covered. Chad Ford, one of the great minds when it comes to the NBA draft, will be joined by Raphael Barlow, host of Locked On NBA Draft and Locked On NBA host John Corrales as they break down every pick of tonight's NBA draft, all 60 of them, live on the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Subscribe to it now and tune in when they go live at 5 o'clock Mountain Time this evening. All right, without further ado, let's get going here. This is the Locked On Cougars podcast for July 29th, 2021. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah, as the executive producer of DJ and PK in the morning. But I am very happy to be with you guys right here on your only daily podcast focused on all things BYU with the Locked On Cougars podcast. If you guys have not done so already, make sure to hit that follow button. Make sure you join us every single day. But more importantly, a request for you guys, if you've not done so already, please make sure you leave us a rating and review, especially if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. The evidence still is overwhelmingly that podcast listeners use iOS devices and your guys' ratings and reviews. Five stars, what we want, one of the five-star ratings. Also, your guys' comments about the show in the comments section. They are absolutely critical to the success of this podcast. Been slacking off on requesting those uh, ratings and reviews, so if you guys don't mind doing so, please leave the ratings and reviews. I think we're up over 250 reviews. Goal is to Make it to 300 and obviously then 350. But if we can get to 300 before the season starts, I'd be over the moon. So we just have over a month left before we get there. If you don't mind doing it, take a moment, leave us a five star rating and comment or two what you like about the show or what could be improved, no matter what it is. I'm happy to take any and all insight from you guys. But a big thank you in advance for doing that. All right, now to business. Let's talk about the 100 seasons of BYU football countdown. And some of you may be tuning in for the first time. And what we have been doing here, just as a heads up for you guys, is we've been counting down 100 seasons that BYU has played as a football program dating back to 1896. Well, today we talk about 1996. That is the 100 years between the start of this project and where we land today with 1996. Obviously, there are many more seasons to go. We're going to count down all the way to 2020 in the lead up to the upcoming football season. But funny enough, 
Today marks, I guess, the official 100-year mark of this project. 20-plus years of it. Obviously, there was no football played at BYU due to some injuries and deaths in the sport in the early, early days in the 1890s. But nonetheless, we talk about 1996, and on the 100-year anniversary of BYU playing their first intercollegiate sports, and some might say it was a high school sport when they started in 1896, 1996 stands out as one of the single greatest seasons seasons in BYU football history. We talked about on yesterday's podcast, if you happen to listen to it, about Steve Sarkeesian and a little bit of a bumpy season in 1995. BYU saw their 17-year bowl streak come to an end despite tying, or not tying, winning a share of the WAC title that year. But 1996 stood out because a lot of the players who were standout players in 1995 took that experience and parlayed it into one of the greatest seasons in BYU football history. I don't need to really break down what happened this year. Those of you that were alive for 1996 know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of our younger listeners probably don't remember it. I mentioned also on yesterday's podcast that I have a unique uh, memory or unique connection to this 1996 team, and I'll explain that here just momentarily. But the season started out under pretty auspicious uh, circumstances. BYU was set up to play at minimum if they made a bowl game 14 games now this came in an era when division 1a teams normally played 11 regular season games first off BYU had an exemption because they were playing in the pigskin classic where they were hosting number 13 Texas A&M in Provo on ABC for the pigskin classic that was set for August 24th one of the earliest starts in BYU football history also BYU was playing a road game at Hawaii and the Hawaii exemption obviously gives you a chance to have an extra game as well so Without the WAC championship game, which BYU did make in 1996, many of you will remember that, a famous overtime win over Wyoming, BYU was set up to play among the most games ever in a season for a college football program. The 15 games they ultimately played with that 14-1 record was the most games played by a college football team since 1937. The, f- the first team to do this after BYU, you have to go all the way to, I believe, yeah, 2003. The Kansas State Wildcats were the second team to play a 15-game season, finishing with an 11-4 record. And then since 2014, it's been possible to play a 15-game season with the 14 playoff system. But BYU set a major record with with their 15 games played. Well, the season started with that game against Texas A&M. And I vividly remember this game. It was hot, but man, what a game it was. Texas A&M came to Provo, ranked number 13, as I mentioned. Uh, Dat Wen, many of you might remember him, the standout linebacker of this absolutely ferocious Texas A&M defense. Well, no matter. BYU matched Texas A&M toe-to-toe, won that game 41-37, to and man, what a game it was. I remember getting out of that game, walking away with my grandpa, who I attended that game with, thinking, that was a fun game. Well, they followed that up a week later with their uh, second home game of the season, hosting Arkansas State, who had recently reclassified to the Division I level. BYU absolutely smashed ASU 58-9, off to a 2-0 start. Oh, and by the way, after beating Texas A&M, BYU leaped into the national rankings. They were ranked number 19 in that game against Arkansas State. The following, uh, the following week was a bye week. Then BYU was able to go to Washington for a game against the Huskies. The history that BYU and Washington have is a very interesting history, but 
Many BYU players who played during this era, played on this team, will tell you this was the one game all year long where their focus may have waffled a little bit. They probably got a little full of themselves. They went to Seattle and suffered a humiliating, or not humiliating, maybe, I don't know, just a setback. Lost 29-17. to There were some people who said that the concern for the players was more about what jerseys, what gear they were wearing versus what they were facing in the Washington Huskies, and the Huskies made them pay. But that refocused BYU. The following week, they took care of business against New Mexico with a 17-14 win, then beat SMU 31-3, and they were off to the races at this point. Then they went to Utah State as they opened October with a 45-17 win. By the way, after beating New Mexico, BYU got back into the top 25 at number 24. Against the Aggies, they ranked number 21, and they were just rolling at this point. They blow out UNLV the following week, 63-28. to Go to Tulsa, win 55-30. to At TCU, 45-21 to winners. UTEP comes to Provo on November 2nd with BYU ranked number 13. 40-18 the result there. Then they absolutely crush Rice, 49 to nothing, taking care of the Owls. By the way, many of you probably remember this was the era of the 16-team whack. Funny enough, we're going to have the SEC going to 16 teams here relatively quickly because it sounds like a vote could come as soon is today about Texas and Oklahoma being invited to join the SEC. Well, the first super conference was actually the WAC way back in the 1990s, but BYU was absolutely rolling. November 16th, they went to Hawaii. I remember watching this game late night. I think it was a 10 p.m. kick, something like that. BYU wins that game easily, 45-14. to Then they go to Utah on November 23rd absolutely smoked the Utes at 37-17, getting revenge for a three-year losing streak to the Utes and doing it with the rushing attack. Those of you who may not have watched that game, go back and watch it. BYU went into this game with Utah thinking they were going to throw the ball all over the field. BYU said, okay, you're going to let us run the ball? That's exactly what we're going to do. So, at the end of the regular season, BYU is a healthy 12-1 on the year. Then they earned the opportunity for the first time to play in the WAC championship game, the inaugural WAC championship game. It was televised on ABC. BYU entered the game as the number six team in the country. They were a top 10 team. They'd entered the top 10 rankings finally on November 23rd when they took on Utah. Well, Wyoming, very, very good team in their own right. Joe Tiller, some of you might recall him, went on to coach at Purdue for a number of years, was the head coach of the Cowboys, and they had a high-flying offense in their own right. This game was an absolute clash between two titans. BYU ends up winning the game 28-25 to in overtime in front of 41,000 fans. I know a number of you attended that game in Las Vegas. I unfortunately was not able to go to it. I wanted to, but just the fates were not allow it. But BYU ended up that winning that game and winning the WAC championship. Well, the question was, okay, now BYU, you're 13-1. and what is going to happen? You're ranked as high as number five in the country, and BYU's number six, excuse me, in the country. And the hope was that BYU might get some uh, opportunities to play in a, what we call it, a New Year's Day bowl game. Well, for the first time in BYU football history, they got that opportunity. Got passed over a little bit by the Bull Alliance at that time, which was the precursor to the BCS, and obviously we know what the, is the college football playoff now. But they got the invite to take on number 14 Kansas State in the Cotton Bowl in the Cotton Bowl Classic on January 1st. Absolutely incredible game. Uh, 
Kansas State gave BYU everything they could handle in this contest. We all know that. Any of you who have watched this Cotton Bowl game know that BYU had their work cut out for them. But Omar Morgan, Tim McTire, Shane Mearbrook, they were standout players on defense for BYU that day. And the Cougars prevailed 19-15, capping off a 14-1 season, a perfect 8-0 record in the WAC. 9-0 if you include the win in the WAC championship game for the Cougars. One of the greatest single seasons in BYU football history. There is no doubt about it. On the season, stats-wise, just wanted to give you guys a heads up on how things went. Many of you probably can quote these from your, your heart. C. Sarkeesian led the Cougars in passing 4,027 yards, 33 touchdowns against 12 interceptions. The key difference between BYU's offense in 1996 versus some of the teams around them in the 1990s was their balance. Brian McKenzie led the Cougars with 950 rushing yards on the year and 11 touchdowns. Ronnie Jenkins was just as good as him, maybe a little bit better, just more electric. Had 733 yards and 11 touchdowns in his own right. Markia Tuwaya, 379 yards, and Dustin Johnson adding 249 yards, five touchdowns between the two of them, four of them for Markia Tuwaya. But as a team, we talked about on the 1995 edition yesterday of the show how the rushing attack really didn't help BYU all that much. Well, as a team in 1996, the Cougars rushed for 2,549 yards. That went along with 4,143 passing yards. This was an absolutely legendary offense. Just all kinds of production. In the receiving game, K.O. Kealaloui, 901 yards. Atula Mealy, uh, 692 yards. Kaipo McGuire, 658 yards. Chad Lewis, who went on to be an all-pro tight end, 420 yards. Dustin Johnson, yeah, fourth leading rusher, but the fifth leading receiver with 464 yards. Marky Atuaya adding 304 yards. The offense was absolutely incredible, and they were helped out by a stellar, stellar defense, as you many of you will recall. Shane Muirbrook finished the year with 97 total tackles, had five sacks in that Cotton Bowl victory, was named MVP of that game. An absolutely incredible season for Shane Muirbrook. Many of you will recall him fondly. Omar Morgan led the Cougars with four interceptions on the year. Muirbrook had three of his own. Tim McTire had three. The best tandem of covered cornerbacks maybe in BYU football history between McTire and Omar Morgan. This team, I can't say enough about how good they were. Just a legendary, legendary squad and one that will be fondly remembered for many, many years. Now, one final thing about this. I mentioned I have a unique connection to this team. And it's actually the, the funny thing about this is the 1996 season is the first season that I can vividly recall watching all 15 of those games that BYU played that year. Previous to this, I've mentioned previously, the Copper Bowl stands out to me. The win over uh, Notre Dame stands out to me. But entire seasons, until you get to 1996 in my life, I would have been nine years old during this year during this season in 1996. It is the first season I fondly remember and vividly remember every single game being played and watching it or being in person there at Cougar Stadium to watch it played out. So that's my connection to this season. I think many of you listening to this show, listening to this episode in particular, will fondly remember 1996 because for many of you, I think it cemented your BYU fandom similar to what it did for me because, man, after that year, why wouldn't you be locked in with this program? Just absolutely legendary stuff from this team. Uh, guys like James Dye had a 314 uh, kick return yards, a touchdown. Ronnie Jenkins added 419 yards in the return game. James Dye added another two touchdowns in the punt return game. Alan Boardman, one of the greatest punters that people don't talk about in BYU history, a legendary career punting the ball. Ethan Pochman, 
kicking it uh, all over the field. 20 of 28 on his field goals, along a 51 on the season, 63 of 65 on extra points. This offense was absolutely unstoppable. This team was unstoppable. And if they had not slipped up against Washington, who knows what could have been for BYU in 1996? Could we be talking about potentially the second national championship in BYU football history? Had they been given that opportunity? Had they beaten Washington? We'll never know. It's one of the great what-ifs in BYU football history. All right, so there you go. A long, long segment on that season, but obviously one that you will fondly remember if you were alive for it or if you're just a BYU fan in general, you will know of 1996. We'll talk about 1997 as we break into the back half of the 1990s for the Cougars. Change is afoot for BYU. We'll begin that countdown to the Mountain West Conference, a new shade of blue for BYU, a lot of changes coming in future episodes right here on Locked On Cougars, and we'll talk about that. Coming up next, though, we take a look at BYU football in the modern day, another position preview, looking at the offensive line, the interior, left guard, center, and right guard. What is BYU going to look like on the interior of this offensive line? We'll get to that in just a moment. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends over at Rock Auto. Many of you have a car that you rely on day to day. I have my daily driver. I need it to be in working order. I use Rock Auto to make sure my car is taken care of. And the best part about it is you can save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why would you willingly choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership when you can get the same parts for a better price at rockauto.com? For an example, a Honda Odyssey, that minivan, a fuel pump is $353 from a chain store, just $216 from Rock Auto. It's a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. All their parts are shipped directly to your door. Prices is reliably low for every customer. You don't get a special deal if you join a club or if you're a professional. They take care of all of their customers. Check it out, guys. Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck right now. It's a very easy-to-use website. Search out your vehicle. Find all the parts there. Search by price. Search by specifications. Search by manufacturer. They've got it all for you guys. Make sure you write Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box when you get to rockauto.com so they know that we sent you. Put Locked On Cougars if you want. Make it a little more specific. But check it out, guys. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Check them out now at rockauto.com. Continuing on now with our position previews ahead of BYU fall camp beginning next week. And today we're going to talk about the interior of BYU's offensive line. And I'll be honest with you guys, I was hoping to do position group by position group, and I literally meant position by position when I did these previews. But looking at the calendar, and BYU fall camp begins midweek next week, I need to get these in. So I am taking the center and the guard positions on BYU's offensive line and making them one unit. The reason why is because I think there's a lot of moving parts on the interior of BYU's offensive line that will, I think, play across all three positions. So I think that works to put them all together. This unit is led by two standout players in particular, two returning starters. Uh, you've got uh, James Empey, obviously the Remington Award watch list candidate. He is back for his senior season as a Cougar. I know he's technically listed as a redshirt junior, but he's made it very clear that this is his last season in a BYU uniform. He is going to be the leader of this offensive line. There is no doubt about it. It, there's actually a big chance he probably would have gone pro had uh, he been uh, 
healthy during the 2020 season, but he suffered through a couple of injuries, an ankle injury in particular against the University of Houston that just precluded him from really being at his best. The hope is that he has a healthy season this year, and he is the man at center for BYU. Should he go down for any reason? They currently list Joe Tuguafu as his backup at center. I'd actually say that Connor Pay, who is currently listed as the starting right guard for BYU, might be the actual backup at center, but Tukuafu has proven that he is more than capable at center if called upon. Also a redshirt junior, Tukuafu will be a critical piece, will be uh, playing and he will be part of this unit because he can play across all three of these positions. Speaking of Joe Tukuafu, the former transfer from Utah State University has transformed himself into a standout offensive lineman after originally joining BYU as a tight end. He will be a critical piece no matter what position he happens to line up at, whether it is as the backup center or if he plays either guard spot. I am a huge fan of Joe Tukuafu. A real fun story of persevering through a lot of different challenges that faced him head on. He had to leave school for a time to get his grades in order, but has come back and been just an absolutely marvelous addition to the BYU football program. Now, the other returning starter at this position is left guard Clark Barrington. Barrington is kind of the overlooked guy in this entire unit because he was the young guy. Now he is one of the veteran stars for this team. He is going to really, I think, impress folks. Listed as a redshirt sophomore, six foot five, three hundred pounds. Clark has transformed his body. I saw him at media day. Had a chance to catch up with him. I think we did play that interview. If we didn't, I probably should play it at some point here relatively quickly. Had a great chat with him. But he is looking forward to being one of the veteran stars for BYU in this offensive line. And now that he kind of steps into a leadership role, I think he is more than ready to do that. He was mentored by some of the better linemen over the past couple of years, playing alongside Brady Christensen, also alongside a guy like James Empey. That that continuity, that playing together, it only engenders confidence, and you really think that this is going to be a standout unit for BYU, especially along the interior of the offensive line. I already mentioned the starter at right guard currently is listed on BYU's depth chart, and that is Connor Pay, the freshman from Lone Peak High School. Connor Pay is a future star for the offensive line for BYU. Whenever James Empey moves on, and he's made it clear that, like I said, that he is planning on going to the NFL after this upcoming season, barring something unforeseen, Connor Pay will be the next center for BYU and will man that position for however long he decides he wants to be a BYU Cougar. I am a huge fan of Connor Pay. I think he is going to make the center position. They might have three straight All-American candidates at that position, uh, going from Kijon Kuroma all the way through a James Empey's career. And then Connor Pay, like I said, for however long he is at BYU, I think he'll be the man in the pivot for BYU. But this year, he'll be playing at right guard. And that's not a bad place to be because he has all the size you want. Six foot five, 311 pounds, very nimble on his feet, strong as an ox. And I am looking forward to seeing what he does. He was an absolute stud in that UCF game in the Boca Raton Bowl. Came in cold off the bench and it just seemed like he was a veteran guy out there as a true freshman. Technically a true freshman once again this year due to COVID rules, but looking forward to seeing what he does. Other guys listed as backups at the guard positions include Seth Willis, a former walk-on out of Newtown, Connecticut. Uh, six foot five, 312 pounds. Seth is an interesting character to me. I think if he translates his uh, physical gifts to being a functional offensive lineman, there's no reason to think that he can't be part of this rotation. Also, Campbell Barrington, that last name probably sounds familiar. The younger brother of Clark Barrington currently listed is the backup at right guard. Many folks, and myself included, think that Barrington's probably better suited to play 
tackle at some point during his career for BYU, but he's listed as a backup right guard right now. I, he's listed at six foot six, two 283 pounds. I have it on fairly good authority. He's actually already tipping nearly 300 pounds and still has plenty of frame to work with to add that weight on. He got married this offseason, so congratulations to him on that front. I like Campbell Barrington. BYU, if I'm being frank about this, actually recruited Clark Barrington with the thought that Campbell Barrington was the real target they were after. The fact that Clark Barrington turned into a multi-year starter for BYU just didn't add a benefit. They thought that Clark Barrington was going to be a good player, but they thought Campbell Barrington was going to be a star. Speaking of BYU's coaching staff, well... The good news is you're getting a two-for-one in essence here because it looks like both the Barrington brothers are going to be standout players for BYU, and it would not surprise me at some point here this season or the very latest next season that Campbell Barrington is starting along BYU's offensive line at some position. Like I said, I think he ends up at tackle eventually, but the good news is there are six bodies listed on the interior of this offensive line for BYU, and I'm a believer in at least five of them, and the sixth one He's not a bad prospect in his own right. So that's the good news if you're a BYU fan is the depth along the interior of BYU's offensive line. It's as solid as it ever has been. I mentioned on yesterday's show how I'm concerned about the depth at tackle. If they can answer that question adequately, find the right mixture of talent to back up their tackles in both Blake Freeland and Harris Lachance, this offensive line, folks, could be just as good as it was in 2020. And let's be real, that Joe Moore Award semifinalist, which is awarded to the best offensive line in the country, it was not given out very lightly for BYU. They were absolutely stellar all along the offensive line. So looking forward to seeing what this interior of this offensive line is going to do. It's going to be the strength of this offensive line along that guard and center position, but very, very excited to see them get out there and become once again the quote-unquote tip of the spear for the BYU offense. All right, we will wrap up today's edition of the show with a look at the strong safety position, a returning star in the making at that position, but a bevy of other options behind him. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends at Bet Online is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, guys. Baseball season is underway. The Olympics are ongoing. No matter what you're interested in in sports, Bet Online you can track all the action there. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, um, football futures odds, UFC, MMA action, golf, the Olympics, as I mentioned. It's all available to you guys by going to BetOnline.ag. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, see all the odds available to you guys, and cash your uh, put your bets in, not cash your ballots, put your bets in at betonline.ag. Don't sit on sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit using the promo code LOCKEDON. L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Get 50% of whatever you deposit the first time added to your account as a welcome bonus. Free money. It's all courtesy of BetOnline. Take advantage of it now. They are your online sportsbook experts. All right, my friends, before we go here on this Thursday edition of the show, let's take a look at the strong safety position. This is the position I think it might be the best in the secondary for BYU, and for one chief reason, that is that Chaz Ayu comes back from injury and is expected to be the guy at the position. I'm really, really excited to see him fully healthy. He had an absolutely stellar opening game to the 2020 season against Navy. He's playing on bad ankles, got another injury in that game, and essentially decided after that, you know what? We're going to shut it down, get fully healthy, and come back in 2021. Chaz is a former four-star prospect. Listed as a junior this year, so still has two years he technically could play in Provo. 
I am looking forward to seeing him stand out in BYU secondary. He has got all the size to be a star. Six foot two, 217 pounds, all the speed to make plays all over the field. Chaz Ayu should be one of the quote-unquote breakout stars of this BYU football season if all goes according to plan. The good news is there is plenty of talent behind him who will push him for playing time, led by Taylor Alfrey, a true freshman coming off a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Alfrey is an interesting character, a guy that I think has all the physical tools in the world. Will it translate to the next level? Six foot three, 201 pounds, has the range, the size. You just look at him and say, okay, this guy can be kind of the next star safety in BYU system. It's a matter of him just kind of honing his craft, and he will have a great mentor in Chaz Ayu. The other guys behind Chaz, as well as Taylor Alfrey, are Mitchell Price, a walk-on from Pleasant Grove High School. Mitchell Price has been just a stalwart since he showed up as a walk-on for BYU. Good to see him listed on this depth chart, hoping he gets his chance to show what he can do. And also Matt Criddle, another fellow walk-on, a junior formerly of Snow College as well as Lone Peak High School, younger brother of Ben Criddle. Changing a position once again, Matt Criddle has played, I think, four or five positions since showing up at BYU. Both of those guys are what I like to term try-hard guys, and I don't mean that in a negative term. Try-hard meaning that they are going to give you every ounce of ability they have got. Maybe they don't have the same physical tools that a Taylor Alfrey or even a Chaz Ayu happen to have, but they will give you every ounce of effort they can muster on the field, and that is actually a very, very good thing if you're a BYU fan. But Chaz Ayu, folks, he is a star for this BYU defense. I am looking forward to the coming out party for him this season. If he is fully healthy, and I'm hoping and knocking on wood that he stays healthy this year, I'm telling you what, he will be one of the top five players on BYU's team if everything goes according to what I expect for him at strong safety. I am that bullish on Chaz Ayu this year. I am so excited to see him healthy once again and hoping he gets the opportunity to show what he can do and have just a healthy and a standout campaign. He's been a big advocate for mental health issues, mental health awareness for this BYU team. Done a lot of good things in that realm. Now it is his time to shine on the field and looking forward to seeing what he does this year for the BYU football program. All right, so there you go. A busy show, a full show, but a fun show nonetheless. A big thank you once again for joining us as always. Make sure to follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at LockedOnCougars. Reach out via email if you got questions, concerns, advertising inquiries, no matter what it might be. The email address is LockedOnBYU at gmail.com. All right, have a great rest of your day whenever you hear this. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for July 29th, 2021, and we will talk to you guys tomorrow.